there are a lot of things this time of year uh, that we can use as object lessons of uh, what Christmas is all about. We can talk about presents and the gifting of presents, as I've done. Um, we can talk about lights uh, that shine. Um, we have some lights strung up, and it's always our goal every year to put up more and more lights, and then as you, you discover, you, you know, you take the lights out, the ones you had the year before, and then half the lights aren't working, so you have to throw those out, and then you go buy more, and then it's always our goal to add to them, but every time you do that, there seems to be some that just don't work. Um, but, you know, we can look at lights and the lights that shine in the darkness, uh, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world to shine in the darkness uh, and to reveal himself as the light. We can talk about that. Uh, we can talk about Christmas trees and bringing live things into our homes and the life that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that we can talk about. Um, but this morning what I want to talk about here is the birth of Jesus Christ. We've been looking for a few weeks at various birth announcements as they've come uh, through the Old Testament. We looked at uh, the birth of Isaac in uh, that miraculous birth and the way that the Lord uh, decided to show forth his grace and mercy through Isaac. Uh, but Isaac was only a shadow of the good news that was to come. And then last week we looked at the birth of Samson and the announcement that came uh, through Samson. Uh, and again, that was an opportunity to see the Lord doing miraculous and extraordinary things uh, in that birth, uh, for a Savior to be born to redeem uh, Israel, if only for a time, and Samson only operated for a short amount of time, about 20 years. Uh, but we see the Lord doing that for his people. But the question is always with those individuals through the Old Testament is, when are the final, uh, the forever pronouncements of God going to come true? When, when is the salvation going to come, and when is it going to be forever? Um, well, that's what we have in the story of Jesus Christ and the birth narrative uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, we seem to see some extraordinary things all throughout the scriptures, the extraordinary, the miraculous, um, the things that go over and above uh, the, the natural orderings of the world. We saw that with uh, Sarah and Abraham as they uh, have had a child in their old age. Um, and last week we saw that with Samson and his family as well, the miraculous provision of uh, a savior for, um, for God's people. And today we're going to see the extraordinary as well. But I think the extraordinary highlights for us the ordinary ways that God works, the very ordinary means that God uses uh, to save his people. So again, the, the extraordinary highlights for us the ordinary means of God's working. Um, so let me read this for us. This is Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from uh, verse 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. Hear God's good and kind word. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin, virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born. The child that will the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our great God, our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the retelling of this story. The fact that you became a man. We thank you for the announcement of this birth. And we pray, Lord, that we would hear from you today. That by your gospel we would be transformed. Lord, this only happens if you do it for us. We are dependent upon you for your grace and mercy. And so we beg for that grace and mercy today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at this passage in three ways today. First of all, we're going to look at the Lord's provision. Secondly, we're going to look at the Lord's promotion. And then thirdly, his persistence. So you've got three Ps today. Um, so as you're at home with your family, you can talk about the provision, promotion, and persistence. We'll talk about these three things. First of all, the Lord's provision in verses 26 through 31. Uh, the Lord provides some things for his people even in this passage, even as he's giving to Mary, he's providing things for us as well. One of the things that we see first and foremost is the provision of God's grace. What do we see in verse 26? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, we actually learn a great deal in this first verse. Uh, the name Gabriel, uh, he, he shows up only uh, three times in, in the Bible. Um, and he actually first shows up in the story of Daniel. Uh, in the story of Daniel, which you read about Gabriel, is he's the great warrior of God. As a matter of fact, that's what the name Gabriel means. It's significant here that this great warrior, the warrior of God, then is sent here in verse 26. What we would expect is for a warrior to be sent into a battlefield to do battle, to fight. And yet he's not sent into a battlefield according to the way that we see this. But who is he sent to? Well, he's actually sent to a very bleak and dire situation. Um, first of all, he's sent to Galilee. Where's Galilee? Well, if you had to point it out on a map, unless it was a map in the back of your Bible, you probably wouldn't be able to find it. You know it's somewhere in Israel, um, but Israel is kind of a small place, and, and this land of Galilee is a small place in the northern part of Israel. It's kind of a throwaway place that very few people actually um, cared very much about. And even more so is the city of Nazareth. Um, at, at one point later on in the story, of course, when Jesus is calling his disciples, one of the disciples says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's a dig at the people of Nazareth because uh, they just weren't well known to be very influential or famous or, or anything good, much less the Messiah. But here is the warrior of God, Gabriel, being sent to this small, insignificant place in the middle of nowhere. God's care and concern, his grace to the insignificant. Not only that, who is he sent to? Or to whom is he sent? He's not sent to a dignitary. He's not sent to a king. He's not sent to any important person. He's actually sent to this teenage girl, an unwed teenage girl in the middle of nowhere. In the pecking order of life, in this day and age, this girl would have no significance whatsoever. And yet, what do we learn? That the warrior of God is sent right to Mary, right to her, 
This is important for us to understand that when God deals with people, he is not dealing with the important. He is not dealing with people who, um, who have a lot in and of ourselves. He's actually dealing with small, insignificant sinners like you and me. And that's good news. He is not waiting for us to become great in order for him to work. As a matter of fact, he delights to work in the midst of small, insignificant people in far away and backwoods kind of places. So we see the provision of, of God's grace. And also we see the provision of the Lord's favor. Look at verse 28. What does Gabriel say to Mary? And he came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, and then later on in verse 30, he says this, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What we learn from this and what we all uh, know, if you know the story at all, is that Mary is the favored one. Well, what we tend to do whenever we hear that language of the favored one, the one who has received a favor, what we tend to do is say, well, there must be something good in Mary. She must have earned this favor from God because that's what we do. When we ask for a favor from someone, we usually follow it up with saying, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. Or if we ask for a favor, we say, remember that time I did this thing for you? Now you have to return the favor for me. And that's what we tend to think about with Mary, that she is the favored one, and therefore she must have earned this privilege of bearing the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what this word means. It's not that Mary has earned the Lord's favor. As a matter of fact, what it says here is that she is the favored one. The word favor just means grace. And it's the passive in the Greek that she is the one who has received the grace of God. What we learn from this is that there's nothing good in Mary, that she should get the favor of God. What do we learn about this about us? For us to receive God's grace and mercy as well, it's not something that we earn. It's something that is simply given to us. Why? Just like Amy gives, gave me that present this morning so that I could share it with all of you in the bow tie, she did it because she loves me. What we learn from this is that God comes to Mary not because she's great, but because he loves her and he loves us. She has not deserved the grace of God. Well, how is, any, how is anyone saved? No one is saved by their works. No one is saved by earning it. You're saved because it's given to you. That's why it's called grace. And then we also see here the Lord's presence. So we've seen his grace, his favor, and his presence. When God gives his grace... What's the proof of that? In verse 28 again, what does Gabriel, Gabriel say? Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. When God gives his grace, he gives his presence as proof of that grace. I remember, very, I remember vividly um, growing up, my mom um, maybe was the first helicopter parent, probably not, but she was, she was omniscient in my life, and I always remember my mom being there. Um, in elementary school, it was great. I remember going to elementary school, and my mom would volunteer at the school. Um, and my brother, sister, and I, uh, for a long time, uh, for those five years, we were all in the same school. And so every day it seemed like mom was there. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that I could walk down the halls or wherever we went, and I would see my mom, and there she was, and I would point out and say, there's my mom. Now, it was cool in elementary school, but then I got to junior high. And, and I realized then that I was there and I'd be walking down the hall or I'd walk past the office and there was my mom. And I was horrified. And she didn't stop just because I was horrified. My mom 
was there. She was, she was volunteering. She'd volunteer with teachers. She would volunteer in the office. She'd volunteer in the, in the cafeteria. My mom was always there, and I was horrified at her presence. Well, um, later on in life, I look back on that, and I think, oh, my goodness. How great was it that my mom was there? As proof of my mom's love for me, she dwelled with me. Wherever I was, she was. She wasn't doing it because she didn't do it because she wanted me to earn her favor or anything like that. She did it because she already loved me. And she said, I'm going to be there wherever he is. Just a great picture of us, of God's presence with us as well. That his grace and his love means his presence is with us. And he doesn't do it because we're great or anything like that. He does it because he's great. God dwells with his people. And here in Mary, you see that God is with her. The Lord is with her. So that's, first of all, the provision of God's grace. Secondly, we see the promotion of God's, uh, the promotion, the Lord's promotion. Uh, What do I mean when I say promotion? Uh, What's the word promote mean? It simply just means to elevate in status or position. Um, And I want to use this in a slightly different way because over and over and over in this passage, what we see is that God is not about elevating Mary or elevating Elizabeth. God, is, his purpose in doing these things is to pr- promote himself. Over and over in this passage, he is the, at the fore. He is the one that takes center stage. He is the one uh, that's important, that Jesus Christ is the one that is promoted. And what's interesting about this promotion is that it actually looks like a demotion, doesn't it? And it is. Where was Jesus Christ before he was born? Before he was conceived, Jesus Christ was reigning on the throne. And his promotion becomes a demotion when he takes on human flesh. But we see here that the the angel Gabriel pronounces certain things about him. That our focus is to be on him. First of all, uh, in verse 30 again, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the uh, Latin term for, uh, from the Hebrew for Joshua, Yahshua, all right? Uh, the word Joshua, the name Joshua simply means Yahweh saves. So Gabriel pronounces that you will call his name Joshua, Yahshua. Even in his name, who takes the fore, who takes the front? Yahweh, the Lord, is at the center of everything here. God is promoting his mission even in his name. And what he's reminding us is that there's no hope for salvation apart from the work of Yahweh for his people. And he goes on from there. He doesn't just promote Jesus Christ in his name, but he says in the purpose of his work, what is he going to do? It's a question oftentimes that we ask, why did Jesus come? What was the purpose of him coming? And the answer that we oftentimes give is he came to save his people. And yes, that is why he came. But let me suggest to you that that's not the first reason why he came. That's not, the first, that's not the most important reason why he came. The first and most important reason why Jesus Christ came was to give himself the glory. And you see that here in verse 32. What is he going to be called? He will be called the Son of the Most High and he will be great. The Lord is promoted here, and the purpose is to get our focus off of us and onto the one who is great for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. It gets to the very purpose of his work. It's not about you and me. It's almost a secondary thing that he came to save us, but he came to save us so that he could show forth his glory. 
And again, he doesn't do it because you're great. He does it because he's great for you. Again, it's not about you. And then thirdly, we're shown here that he is promoted in his office. What is he going to be called? The son of the most high. What does that mean? It means he's going to be the king of kings, the Lord of Lord. And he goes on and he talks about the extension of his kingship. He says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so we see here the way the Lord ordinarily works. When the Lord saves us, it's not for the sake of our glory or showing forth how great we are, but he does it for the sake of showing forth his glory and his greatness. Again, the focus is off of us. It's off of us in his grace, in his mercy, in his provision. It's off of us in his promotion. His goal in your life is to make him the most important thing in your life for you and everyone else to see. And that's what he's doing here for Mary. He says, Mary, the focus is off of you and on the one that you will bear, your son, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he says, uh, we, sh- we, we see the Lord's persistence in verses 34 through 38. Uh, this is, let me suggest to you, the story of the Bible. Uh, we saw this last week with Samson. We noticed that at the very beginning, God's people had not called on the Lord. They did not repent of their sin, and yet God was determined to send his Savior to save his people And again, we see that here today, that the Lord is determined to save his people. And again, it's the story of the Bible from beginning to end that the Lord is determined to save his people come hell and high water. Nothing will stop his salvation of his his people. Um, How do we see the Lord's persistence here with Mary? Well, Mary is, again, the unlikely choice to bear the Son of God. She is not uh, of any kind of noble... uh, Well, she does have noble heritage, but they've fallen in hard times. She's in this insignificant place in the middle of nowhere. She's betrothed, but not yet fully married. She's legally um, uh, betrothed to another man, but she is unmarried at this point. And she's a teenager. Um, Consider yourself... I mean, think back to how you were as a teenager. Um, How good would you have been at taking care of children... Um, with, very few of us would have been any good at that at all. Um, we would have been frightened to death of it. And yet here is Mary, and the Lord comes to her. She's the last choice to be the bearer of the Son of God. And yet Mary's in- inability, her human inability, shows forth God's sovereign ability for her. We also see here, um, look at verse 36, and behold, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called bearing, for nothing will be impossible with God. We see here that nothing is impossible with God. We live in a world of probability. We live in a world where we make value judgments and base things on probability, on things that are going to happen um, Friday, there was a 100% probability of rain. It was 100% that it was going to happen. It was probably going to happen. We exist in a world of probabilities. And there are certain things that, it, that in this world of probability that do not happen. Old women past the point of bearing children do not have children. And virgins do not conceive um, without help. And here we see that old women give birth and virgins conceive Because the Lord does not deal in improbabilities. He deals in impossibilities. He is not saying that I'm going to do something that's improbable. He says I'm going to do something that is impossible. 
He works in impossibilities. You know what's absolutely impossible? It's absolutely impossible to love you and me. It is hard, but more than hard, it is impossible. And I don't speak just for you. I don't know you that well, but I know me pretty well, and I know that I am hard to love. Not just hard, impossible. I'm demanding. I am terrible on a daily basis, minute by minute. I'm impossible to love, but the Lord loves in impossibilities. So if the Lord can give uh, the virgin and and help the virgin conceive and give uh, life in the womb of the virgin and can help old women uh, give birth, what can he do? Well, he can't not do anything, if that makes any sense. The Lord deals in impossibilities, and it's absolutely impossible for him to love us, and yet he does. It's impossible for you to be saved in and of yourself. It's not about you saving yourself. You can't do it. Most of the time, you and I live under the delusion that we are okay, that we are all right, that we really do have something good and valuable inside of us. But the truth is that we're not like that. We are impossible. And this is what makes the good news of Christmas so great, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to save impossible people like you and me. It's a great reminder to us. He doesn't work in improbabilities. He works in impossibilities. It's absolutely impossible for you to save yourself, but it's possible for God to save you. In conclusion, let me just point you to a few things. Uh, This time of year, we're giving lots of presents. Obviously, it's the time to give and give and give. Uh, And I was reminded, uh, you know, a lot of times pastors do this. We look out at our congregations during the Christmas season, and we look at you and we say, look, you're all about consumerism, and you just go out and you buy all these things, and it's all about you buying stuff and and material, all this blah, 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 on and on. And I was reminded by someone on Facebook, no less, this is the one time of year that we actually go out and think about other people. Like, we spend a lot of time, an inordinate amount of time, thinking about what we should get for other people, what they need and what they want. And then we go and we fight Baton Rouge traffic to go find these things for them. And literally sometimes we have to fight other people to grab these things so that we can give it to our loved ones. We do that this time of year. Now think about this, individuals here sitting here. There are people in this world who have been thinking about you and what they should give you. The impossible person that you are, the unlovely the hard to live with, and people are thinking about you and saying, oh, I really want to get this person this thing. Have you earned your presence that you've gotten this year? You know, Thursday morning, there's going to be this massive wrapping paper all over your living room floor or wherever it is. There's just going to be all this stuff all over the place, and you're going to have a moment where you think, I've gotten this thing, and I've earned it. Well, the reality is that you haven't earned the thing that you've gotten from your loved ones. They've given it to you because... They love you, and it's a gift. What we see at this Christmas season, what we see in the birth of Jesus Christ, is the gift exchange of cosmic proportions. I I think about this a lot of times. um, A lot of you've heard this. Uh, All of us have a lot of things. We live in the United States. We have a lot of things, and we accumulate these things. And as a matter of fact, what happens is we get things on Christmas Day, and the next day we, we forget about them because we have all these other things. Or or you go and you exchange that gift for something else that you want even more. We do these kind of things. Um, just the reality of kind of where we live. 
But in Jesus Christ, we see the gift exchange of cosmic importance. Jesus Christ has everything. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing that you can give him that would improve his life one way or the other. You can't give him an iPad or a, a GPS thing. or you can't give him, I mean, whatever it is that's the newest thing, you can't give him that to make his life any better. He doesn't need anything for you. So what do you give to Jesus Christ? Well, a better question maybe to ask is, what did Jesus Christ give to you? He gave you the thing that you absolutely needed. He came and was born a human so that you can have life. So that's what he gives you. What do you give to Jesus Christ? The greatest cosmic gift exchange ever. You gave him your death and your sin. And he took that on himself. In the baby Jesus, we see the man who was going to go to the cross to take your death. That's what you gave him. And what did he give you in exchange? He gave you his life. And again, the day after Christmas, you're going to forget about all the joy of the great things that came on that Christmas day. You're going to forget about the gifts and you're going to go and exchange things and say, oh, that person really didn't mean to give me this or whatever. They didn't really think about me or consider me. You exchange it and you're just going to forget. It's natural. The good news to us is that Jesus Christ never forgets. He never forgets, first of all, about himself, his glory, and what he did to show forth his glory. He never forgets about his love for us And here's the thing, he never exchanges the gifts that we give him. He never does. He cherishes them. So what does it matter? What does that do for you? This gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gift of life, it's meant to be transforming. It's meant to change the way that we live our lives. It's meant for us to show forth his grace and mercy. First of all, back to the Lord in appreciation for all that he's done for us. But secondly, to the people around us, to live lives that show forth his love. The question is, have you received the grace, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's yours by faith. Take hold of it by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to hear from you and your word. Lord, we pray during this Christmas season that we would be reminded again of your grace and mercy, that we would never forget it that our love for you would be as warm as your love for us is constantly. Lord, that we would show forth your glory in our lives, that we would love and love well because you loved us well in your Son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.